Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The Jazz Session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. This week's guest is Kurt Elling from his new album dedicated to you. Here is all or nothing at all. My guest is Kurt Elling. His new album is called Dedicated to You, and it features the music of Coltrane and Hartman from their seminal recording, and it is uh, my extreme pleasure to welcome Kurt Elling to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Can you talk about uh, the genesis of this recording? Uh, whose idea was it, and, and how did it come about? Uh, this com- well, it came about as a commission from the Chicago Jazz Festival. Friends of mine from the board over there gave me a call and asked if I would be on a double bill with Josh Redman. Josh was going to be doing the Africa Brass material, which is quite a bit more boisterous and loud, and they wanted a, something that would complement that in a different way for Orchestra Hall in Chicago. I asked right away if I, would, if I could have the opportunity to put my own twist on it rather than simply reiterating, which wouldn't have been as interesting to me or I think to the audience. And they said, sure, you know, think about it overnight and tell us what you'd like. Uh, I was working with a friend named Jim Galloretto at the time, a great uh, composer and saxophone player from Chicago, who was doing recordings and compositions and arrangements for saxophone, voice, string quartet. Uh, and I said, well, let me get Jim to do some stuff, and we'll you know, obviously get Lawrence Hobgood, my great collaborator now of 15 years, to write some new arrangements, and that way we'll 
stay in the trajectory area of a ballad's record with a string quartet, a lot of nice romance in that. But, uh, you know, we'll put our own twist on things. And then Lawrence and I and Jim and I sat down and I said, well, I want this tune in three and I want this tune in, you know, to have this kind of feel and this. And then they got to work on it. And it happened that uh, at our orchestra hall concert, there were three or four promoters uh, of different festivals and they all asked for us to bring that show to their festivals. And it kind of seemed like every time, starting from the very first time that we would ever... Uh, do this special project, we get a lot more invitations to do it uh, until it snowballed. And finally, we were at the Monterey Festival last year, and the record uh, label heard it and they loved it. And they asked if they could, you know, if they could do a live recording and put it out. So we recorded it live in one set at Lincoln Center, and here it is. Now, you don't seem like someone who's easily daunted, but was this a little daunting? I mean, this was a real lightning-in-a-bottle record when it was made uh, the first time. Uh, certainly, you, you haven't remade the record, but if you get my meaning. Uh, did mm-hmm. it seem like a, a challenging repertoire to take on? Well, the repertoire itself isn't any more challenging than any other part of uh, the American Standards songbook or, you know, jazz standards work. You know, it's always a thing when you go after one of the really monumentally famous compositions or recordings in jazz, because jazz people are very protective of their heritage and their legacy, and rightfully so. But I've kind of been doing that all along, taking on my biggest influences and jazz's biggest movers and shakers, and either adding lyrics to things or doing new arrangements of things or putting stories in the way or, you know, uh, and generally, you know, rearranging the decks on the uh, the chairs on the deck uh, to my own satisfaction throughout. So for me, you know, as I say, it started as a special project for one night in a setting I'm very comfortable in, in my hometown. Sure, so sure, why not? And I have the confidence of my arrangers and confidence in them, confidence in the players I associate with. And, and I think it's it's been given to me, as it is given to all jazz musicians, to take the past, to take the best parts of the past, and to reinvigorate them uh, for a contemporary audience. So, you know, I just think it's the charge of the jazz singer to do this kind of work. Through the trees comes autumn with her serenade. Melody. The sweetest music ever played Autumn kisses we knew Are beautiful souvenirs As I pause to recall Leaves seem to fall like tears Silver stars Were clinging to an autumn sky Love was ours until October wandered by Let the years come and go I'll still feel the glow That time cannot fade When I hear That lovely autumn serenade 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 Thank you. 
Now, if you if you don't mind a hardball comment, I will say that uh, I think your version of Resolution is one of the great individual tracks of the decade so far. And I wonder whether your kind of theological background and your your spiritual grounding uh, developed in you kind of an affinity for for Coltrane's work in particular. Well, a little bit the other way around. Uh, you develop an affinity by loving Train's. Uh, body of work and by loving his intention and by revering his uh, his goals and his path uh, and because you revere it then you pay attention to it and because you pay attention to it certain things stand out and because certain things stand out you end up toying with the idea of writing lyrics and rearranging things and including them in your in your own body of work and transmitting that onto the future so um you know, uh, theologically or philosophically, uh, in as much as that's a part of my um, mindset to begin with, in as much as um, sort of grander, more transcendent themes tend to crop up in my writing in one way or another anyway, uh, train is a certainly a logical place to lay some of those ideas out in a much more clear, I hope clear, uh, or certainly more prolonged fashion. There's a, a extended section on uh, the new record dedicated to you uh, in which you describe uh, this, the situation of the recording itself and really uh, paint a, a word picture of what the day was like. Uh, where did you draw the, the source material for that, that picture that you paint? Well, there are some famous stories of, uh, you know, I, I, it's it's well known that it was just an afternoon session, about four hours worth. Um, it's known, it's well known that that they didn't really have rehearsals uh, for this record, that they just kind of put it together and walked in and did it. Uh, it's also known that Lush Life was something that they discovered that they wanted to do on the way to the gig. And thereafter, I just sort of uh, extrapolated in a, more of a poetic fashion. That's why I call it a poetic jazz memory because it's not it's it's the way memory is transmitted in jazz. We have an oral history first and musicians tell each other stories and pass things down. And anytime it's an oral history then it is I don't want to say fabrication but it's altered as it passes from hand to hand. So, you know, the things that I've listed are factually correct, but I mean, I certainly don't know what they talked about in the car. Well, that's, uh, sure, that's all well and good, I guess, and certainly there's an oral history in jazz, but I th- I think you've you found a way to make that even more explicit and to, to bring the audience in so that it's not just being passed down from one mm-hmm. musician to the next. Well, that's part of my job as, as an entertainer, uh, if you will, and as it's, it's one of the things that I want to do on every occasion if I have the possibility of doing that um, to draw people in as tight as tightly as I can so that they're pulling for us and not just you know me and my immediate collaborators but so they're pulling for the music so they become a part of the tradition and they want it to survive and they feel some ownership of it and they feel a kinship to it and that this just is a particularly easy story to tell to get that response <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can you talk about uh, the gentleman that you chose to play saxophone on this recording? Sure. Well, Ernie, I mean, he's the kind of player pe- 
people recognize by his tone and by his sound more than they do by his name. Uh, that and the fact that he's played with everybody from Cannonball Adderley to the Rolling Stones to you know the Tonight Show Band to Frank Zappa to Charlie Hayden. I mean, you know, if you have that extensive of a history uh, and that signature of a sound, then um, people are going to know you through that sound. And Ernie certainly has the uh, reputation and the experience and the wisdom of his years to um, to know what we needed for this show, and he definitely brought it, uh, both on the stand and off the stand. I mean, it's a real pleasure to travel with him and hear his stories and and to have his complicity in this in this uh, in this venture. I thought he was a, a particularly inspired choice uh, because he's he's traveled some of this ground in other ways. Like, for example, with the Quartet West uh, that Charlie Hayden put together, uh, it's, he seems to be particularly skilled at kind of evoking the mood that you seem to be setting mm-hmm. in this recording. Yeah, that and the fact that, I mean, the sound of John Coltrane's tenor was the sound that got him to play the tenor. I mean, he has a very, that's a very personal connection. And that was something that I wanted from the start when we were when we were trying to decide who was going to be a part of this. You know, it's a very important chair. Obviously, it's it's the feature saxophone chair in this ensemble. And I wanted somebody who, like me, listens to the past, uh, is drawn into it, and who reveres it, but is not bound by it. Can you talk about the audience reactions to the performances of this music? Well, you know, it's the audience that really has made this recording possible. I never would have thought to put a record out that was as explicit a tribute recording as this is. I wouldn't have thought to do that for anybody, you know, let alone for Johnny Hartman, who hasn't necessarily been a particularly heavy influence on me. Um, I have gone more for the much more experimental singers and the much more explicitly jazz-oriented singers. Uh, And Johnny Hartman has a beautiful voice and sings with a beautiful range and is emotionally open and honest about things, but he's not known for his daring do and his particular twist on anything as a confrontational kind of artist, which is what I'm more known for being. This recording came about because people continued to ask me to present it. And in presenting it, I want to always give the best performance that I can for an audience. And so I continued to refine the material, and Lawrence and I continued to find new ways to approach things and write new arrangements for things, so that we, I think, captured this material and our performance of this material at a particularly peak and fresh moment in its life. I'm very happy with it. It's a special project, nonetheless. I mean, you know, the next stuff that I'm going into the studio to record is going to be, you know, Zawinul and Wayne Shorter and Keith Jarrett and more original things for me and Lawrence and uh, you know we'll be kind of right back on track with our usual crazy thing because your love is the beacon that lights up my way To you, because with you, I know 
a lifetime could be Just one heavenly day If I should find one twinkling star One half as wondrous as you are That star would be like my heart Dedicated, dedicated to you. What is it about Lawrence Hobgood that's made him such a good partner over these years? Well, we uh, first of all, our skill sets complement each other. You know, I think about. I approach it from a singer's angle, so I have uh, a single note instrument, single note at a time instrument. I have lyrics. I have uh, an entertaining uh, vision of what it is to entertain people with jazz music on a given night. I have a storytelling ability, and moreover, I'm I'm an entrepreneur. I have an entrepreneurial spirit, so I tackle the business. Lawrence comes to the table with a very heavy orchestral mindset meaning he can arrange anything he can improvise just about anything with just a few words from me about what the emotional intent might be and he'll be spot on 99% of the time uh he's a great uh trio leader and rehearses the band very completely and very professionally uh and you know he and I agree on our intention in the music so uh, we speak the same language, but we come at it from our two sides, and that makes for a very strong bond creatively and a very lasting friendship over time. Did the presence of a string quartet impose any particular limits, or conversely, did it, did it open up any particular avenues for you as a singer? Anytime you have a section of the band that is going to play exactly what's written on the page then you have to bind yourself to that kind of contract. And that's just as true with a string quartet or a classical ensemble as it is for a big band. You know, in a big band, barring solo spaces or parts in the, in the charts where it's explicitly written, improvise now, somebody, the band plays what's written on the page. And it's uh, dependent upon how deep swinging a group it is and who the drummer is and what soloists you have whether that music is going to be successful or not uh the same is true of a of a small classical ensemble working itself into a jazz ensemble you have to there are parts that are very well defined and it's a question of how well you play that which is written on the page and then there are parts where it says improvise now i'm fortunate in that as the singer and as the interpreter the chief interpreter, that which is written as an arrangement is merely, not merely, but it is a, it's a more of a fixed idea. And it means that the limitations are, uh, it is going to be played well every time, but it's going to be played pretty much the same way every time. Uh, but that means that it's incumbent upon me to find fresh ways within that arrangement to sing that which I, which I came to sing. 
as opposed to one of our more usual uh, nights of music where at any point the whole thing could just change on a dime and suddenly we're playing a different composition altogether. And we can do that because it's like a little sports car uh, and anything goes. Finally, let me ask you, what do you think it it is about this uh, Coltrane-Hartman recording that has made it such a lasting favorite of jazz fans? Well, the sound of Train, first of all. The sound of Train in collaboration with the beautiful sound that Johnny Hartman brings to the table. I think the very relatively straightforward delivery of everything helps it become, uh, it helps it be very approachable for people who haven't listened to a lot of jazz. I think that the compositions, the composition choices were very adroit. You know, it has a classic sound that people can hear pretty easily the first or second time out, as opposed to uh, even a Love Supreme or Impressions or, you know, um, any number of other things that are quite a bit more challenging for people to listen to. If potentially more intrepid and heroic and potentially more spiritually informative. The new album on the Concord record label is called Dedicated to You, and my guest has been Kurt Elling. Kurt, it's been a, a real pleasure talking to you. I, I'm a huge fan of your music, and I thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I used to visit all the very gay places Those come what may places Where one relaxes on the axis of the Life, to get the feel of life from jazz and cocktails The girls I knew had sad and sullen gray faces With distone gauge races That you to be there You could see where they'd been washed away By too many through the day Twelve o'clock days Then you came along With your siren song To tempt me to madness Your poignant smile was tinged with the sadness of a great love for me. Yet I was wrong again. I was Only last year Everything seems so sure. That's Kurt Elling from his album Dedicated to You. Kurt Elling sings the music of Coltrane and Hartman. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. 
The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of The Jazz Session is also available for free at TheJazzSession.com and in iTunes. The Jazz Session has an email mailing list, which is a great way to win free music. You can sign up at TheJazzSession.com. If you're on Facebook, there's a group for The Jazz Session, and I give away music there, too. Just search for Jazz Session. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet online at RespectSextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed The Jazz Session's logo. The Jazz Session is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States License. You can find out what exactly that means by going to thejazzsession.com and scrolling down to the bottom and clicking on the license. Thanks very much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.